Welcome to the Ruler's World Broadcast. Stay tuned as Pastor William Beckson shares with you insights on how to take dominion on the earth. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you reign. You are the King Immortal. You are the Invisible, the only wise God. You reign for all eternity, for all ages. To you be all glory and honor. Reign in our midst this morning in the name of Jesus. I declare that under the sound of my voice, under this atmosphere of the Spirit, sickness will not reign, infirmity will not reign, lack will not reign in the name of the Lord Jesus. Devils will not reign in our lives in the name of Jesus. You reign alone. You reign alone. You reign alone. We give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please take your seats. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. This morning, I just, uh, by the grace of God, want to just point a few um, scriptures to our attention and uh, with, with the aim of, you know, charging us. It's like I'm giving a charge for us to, you know, step out in faith and accomplish God's plan and purpose that he has for his church. Hallelujah. And so uh, I want to be as fast as possible. And uh, please ride along with me. Hallelujah. All right. So I want us to first look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11 from verse 1. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of his roots. So you can see the when you listen to the metaphors very carefully, you realize the 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 trope or the analogy of trees being used here. So he's talking about the family tree of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, uh, as a branch he shall grow out of his roots, that's uh, Jesse, the line of David, the line of kinship. Next verse, please. Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. He says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And when you continue to read, you realize that there are seven items that are mentioned here in whole. And it, it basically talks about or prophesies the, the fullness of the spirit in the life of Jesus Christ as a king because he is tracing his lineage from David as one that was ordained to rule uh, in Jerusalem. And so he, and he's telling us that he's going to do this. He's going to rule and reign over the land full and loaded with all the fullness of God. And he talks about the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Next verse. The Bible says, and shall make him of quick understanding. Hallelujah. And shall make him of quick understanding. He's saying that this ruler, this king, filled with the spirit of God to the brim, to the full, he shall be made of quick understanding. Now, this word interesting is interesting when you look at it in the Hebrew because quick, quick understanding, when you 
in English, quick understanding. I'm, I'm sure we all have the idea in terms of, you know, the intelligence, the thinking. But he uses the word for spirit or breath in this particular verse. So quick understanding is actually ruach, which is breath or spirit. And it also means to smell. You see, so what he's saying is that Jesus, as a result of the fullness of the spirit, spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, might, counsel, fear of the Lord, will make him of quick understanding. That means his sense of perception will be very acute, very sharp. That means he will easily smell. He will easily pick up anything. You see, so he says he shall make him of quick understanding in the reverence of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So because of what he is full of, the spirit that he is full of, he is not seen as the natural man sees. He is not, you know, deriving conclusions based on the things that he is seeing naturally. He is not coming to conclusions based on the things that he is hearing physically, but as a result of the inner working of the spirit, he sees beyond what the natural can see. And he hears beyond what he is being told. Are you following? Yes. So he shall make him of quick understanding. The Bible says that he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So it's not based on what he sees by which he judges. And when you look at the life of Jesus, for example, you would notice that the people, the creme de la creme of society in his day, those who were known as very religious, very prim, very proper in his day, he would look at them and say, you hypocrites. (laughs) Because he was seen beyond their nice robes and skirts. Do you see? And then the people that they would present to to him as a harlot, he's seen something different. You see, uh-huh. and I said this to say that because what God did with the church, one of, when you read, uh, let's, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 20 or verse 18. So the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what's the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's praying that when the Holy Spirit has his way in you, it will cause you to see in an unusual way. He will cause you to see supernaturally. That means the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light. And then when that happens, you are going to see the hope of your calling, number one. You are going to see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then you are going to see the exceeding greatness of his power that raised Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. This is not our focus, but... I feel like I can't go past this scripture, you know, without saying that if there's a power that raised him from the dead and God wants us to see it, that means that God wants us to see the ability that picks us from the crowd and separates us as his people, as his children, as his holy ones. And he says, this is according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him or seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far 
above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So you are seeing that he wants us to see the power that raised Jesus from the dead and he also wants us to see the power that placed Jesus on the highest pedestal of authority. He wants us to see that. That when it comes to dominion, when it comes to lordship, when it comes to authority, there is none above the authority that Jesus Christ occupies in the universe, even in this present day and for eternity. So he wants us to see all that, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Next verse, please. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things. This is beautiful. He's saying that God gave Jesus to us as a gift. Not the gift is, you remember, uh, uh, was this, this, the one who requested for John the Baptist's head. <laughs> the, the head of John the Baptist was handed to her as a gift. But in this scripture, the Bible is saying that the head of Jesus was handed to the church as a gift. What that means is that the authority of Jesus and everything, his name, his power, his ability stands for, has been handed over to the church. In fact, one of the translations says he gave him to be the head to the church or for the benefit of the church. That means his authority is for our benefit. And we need to apprehend it, seize it, and take advantage of it. Else it will be in vain. Okay, next verse. And then he says that, which is his body? The, oh, the fullness of him that filled. So the church, which is all of us put together. We are the body of Christ, and as it stands now, the body of Christ is the fullness of God. The totality of divinity in all its power, in all its splendor, has been placed in the church. In other words, if you are looking for God in all he is, you should, you should go to the church. In other words, they should come to me and you. That, that's the weighty thing that Paul is trying to draw our attention to. So, if this is the destiny of the church, that the fullness of him that fills all in all, then that means that the same ability Jesus has to discern beyond the natural, beyond the physical, beyond what he, he is, is the same one God, is, God wants us as members of his body to see. For which reason he was praying that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. So that we see beyond the statistics presented. We see beyond the things that are happening. We see beyond what people are saying. And Paul helped us to see something like that in the scriptures, which I want to point our attention to. And then we, 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 we have to engage that for the assignment that God has for us and the places that he is taking us to. Hallelujah. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, can you give us verse 10? Let's see. Let's see what we have there. He says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Hallelujah. Put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Maybe one time, by the grace of God, we'll do spiritual warfare proper and examine these scriptures into detail. I think we've done a couple of that already, you know, because you are in a very blessed church. 
We are receiving the pure word of God all the time, constantly. And that means our lives can never remain the same. Now, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So as a result of the working of the Spirit in the church, in the body, Paul is now saying that our engagement, our contests, our struggles are not with flesh and blood. That means he's seen beyond flesh and blood. And if we are going to benefit from the workings of the Spirit in our lives, we need to see like the scriptures are showing us. And he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, the word wrestle there, when you look at it in your concordance or whatever, is a simple Greek word, pale, pale. And there's a, a certain background with this word that paints a certain vivid script uh, imagery of what he wants us to see we are dealing with. Are you following? So the word is pale, and it talks about struggling, contentions, fightings, you know, grappling. I'm sure we are all aware of wrestling, WWE and WWF. We have a fair idea of what wrestling is, right? Yes, and he says that we wrestle. Now, the word pale in, in, in ancient, you know, Greek world, was where we also get the word for palestra, palestra. And the palestra was like a sports, you know, center. You know, it looked like a, a, a palace, but it was a place for combat sports, for fightings, for wrestlings. Now, what kind of sports do they do there? There were three kinds of sports that were dominant in that arena. They had boxing, they had wrestling, and then they had uh, pancrashing. And with the kind of boxing that these people were fighting, if you have the privilege, you can, if you have the time, you can look it up. Those days, kind of boxing is not our day kind of boxing. The kind of boxing that they used to fight then, it was likely that, in fact, when you see some of the images, you see people with deformed faces. You see somebody's ear and half is chopped off. Why? Because you know the kind of gloves our professional boxers use wasn't the kind that they used. They they rubbed you know the cloth on their arm, and because of how brutal the the sport was, they would stick sharp objects and edged uh, like broken glasses, nails, very sharp objects, and then. You know, it's wrapped as part of the whole glove. Do you get the imagery? Yes. So when the person is landing a blow on your face, it's not just raw punch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's jagged, sharp objects that are penetrating your flesh. Do you see? So that was the kind of boxing. And this kind of boxing, in fact, there was an inscription that says that if they tell you that your son has gone to uh, fight boxing, and that your son is dead, believe it. But if they tell you that they have finished the fight, he lost, but he retired, he says, don't believe it. Because usually they fight to death. Now they have round, round, round two. Those days there were no rounds. You are fighting till you are dying. Or you are fighting till you are surrendering. No rounds. And there is no break. You don't break to the corner and then your team will come and then splash some water on your face and then massage you small before you go. No. It was that brutal. So by the time you are done, 
you are lacerated, you are bleeding all over the place. Or potentially, you can even lose your life. That was the kind of boxing that they were fighting back then. No rules. The only rule was that there is no clinching, you know. <laughs> Modern day boxing, when the boxer is tired, you see him clinching <laughs> to, to get some breath and then gather some momentum. But if you clinch, you, you it's a foul. <laughs> so <laughs> we are beating you to death. So your life will indeed never remain the same after a fight. That was the kind of boxing that they were fighting. And in fact, not too long, sometime maybe a year or two ago, I watched a documentary and I saw to my amazement, I saw the same kind of boxing being practiced somewhere north in Nigeria. And you see the people wrapping their gloves and then they, they have broken glasses that they've put there. And when you see the, the people that were interviewed, when you see their faces, you understand the sport. If you want to be a model, it's not a place to, you know, venture. Then they have the wrestling. And the wrestling was as brutal as the boxing. Grappling you, throwing you down with the aim of breaking your backbone. That means we can finish a fight and you, you came walking, but you, you, you'll be carried away. Breaking your backbone, intentions of breaking your fingers, breaking your arm. Like, it's no joke. And then the pancreatist comes from a Greek word which means all, all strength or all manifested power. That means in that one, there are no rules. This one, they are wrestling, they are grappling, boxing, you know that you are punching. This one, you are kicking, you are punching, you are biting, you are chewing. Whichever one you have to do, you are doing that to win the fight. So when Paul says for we wrestle, it's not WWF that should be going through your mind. Or WWE which is acted anyways. You see, when he says we wrestled, that is the imagery his first century readers have, that this thing is a brutal fight. And he says all of us, we are in it. So if you are not aware of this, I don't know how you are living your life or how, how you, you manage to survive. But he's saying that for we, that means he is part, we too, he are part. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of, the, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. How many times do we see against? For we wrestle not against one, against two, against three, against four, against five. He could have just said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers, dark. you get the picture. But he's mentioned against five times. And in the Bible, when something is mentioned multiple times, he wants you to hear what he's trying to say. It's for emphasis. You see, you see all the people that they mention their name twice or thrice, Samuel, Samuel, Moses, Moses. Those are very vital figures in God's agenda. So when something is mentioned twice or thrice in the scripture, you have to pay particular attention because the spirit is trying to emphasize something very critical and crucial. Now, why is that? What does the word against mean? Against is the word, the proposition pros. And in John chapter 1, in fact, John chapter 1, it is used to describe the kind of close relationship the word in its pre-incarnate state. That means before Jesus became flesh, how he related with the Father so close, inseparable. And what it means is that pros means you are face to face with a person. Like I'm standing here and maybe you're standing here face to face. You see when boxers are going to fight, before the, the media 
how do they call it? You know, the media hype and all those things. You stand face to face. That's the kind of imagery he's painting here. That against is face to face. It's so close that you can even feel the person's breath on your physical body because you are standing right in front of the person. So he says, we wrestle not against. That means against principalities, powers. That means in our daily endeavors, in our encounter, in our work, the, people, the, the group of people he has described here, the wrestling match we are in with, that brutal fight, is face to face. If you are using these eyes, you will never see it. And that's why he says the spirit will come upon him so that he will be of quick understanding. So if you are going about doing your normal day activities, but according to higher knowledge, a veil, you see when, when there's a stage, usually there's a veil behind it. That means all the props and things are behind. You don't see that. But in this scripture, he's opening the veil behind the scenes. So we see what is behind the scenes. And what is behind the scenes is that in our day-to-day activity as believers, he says we are in a, a brutal, fierce combat with this group of people face to face. You can feel their breath. They can feel yours. They can see eyeball to eyeball standing right against these people. If the scriptures didn't tell us, we will never know. We will, all, we will be going about as if we are on our own. But he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but again, and he lists the hierarchy of people that we are dealing with. Principalities are referring to ancient powers and authorities. That means these are people that have been on earth even before Adam. So there is nothing new that you can come up with that will surprise them. It's like you can't come up with any, all that will ever be has already been. There's, you can't be creative enough on your own to outsmart these people. They have been here since they came with Lucifer. Principalities. That's in, in fact, we get the word archaic from the Greek word used for principalities. Archaic. They have been there for a very long time. And he says, these are the people that we are dealing with. How many years have you been here? Top, tops. I don't think any of us have been here more than, what, 60 years. But these people have lived lifetimes, entities that have lived life. So if you think you are smart enough to, to maneuver your way through these kind of beings, you are deceiving yourself. He says principalities and powers. Powers means delegated authority. That means they have people that they have delegated it. You see, he's talking about government here. That, that's what I want you to see. He's talking about a certain governmental structure. So there's delegated authority. They are not only and omnipresent, but they have people in different spheres, different spaces, different fields, that you, I can't be here, so you, I'm giving you the authority. All the people in this vicinity rule over them. Authority, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And when you look at this word, rulers of the darkness of this world, it is actually talking about people who have been organized with manifested strength. Like, you know, we have the executive. You see, the president makes, uh, is the commander-in-chief. He makes, he will not be on the field when the war is happening. But there are soldiers who are on the front lines. And spiritual, uh, sorry, rulers of the darkness of this spiritual world is actually one simple word in the Greek. And it means that these are the ones, foot soldiers that are on the ground. 
So beyond the principality and the delegated authority, there are foot soldiers that are one-on-one, one-on-one fight. So they can assign just one person for you. Somebody said, I beg. (laughs) You see, when Paul said that I fought with beasts in Ephesus, he was dealing with human beings, though. He was using metaphors to describe the kind of entities he was dealing with. Because they are human beings, but they are not human beings. That's why he's saying that it's not flesh and blood. Do you see? Spiritual wickedness in high places. But the amazing thing is that what we read in Ephesians 1 tells us that we have been seated together with Christ far above them. Far above them. Not just above, far above. Principalities, powers. That means... This is a government structure that is already set in place. But Jesus, after his resurrection, also has set up a government structure. And that government structure is supposed to superimpose and neutralize the activities of this group of people. But for that to happen, he says, I want you to know that these are the kinds of people that you are dealing with. And for me, I I don't know, but I, I feel a certain strong prompting. You know, I think I even saw it in visions and dreams like that that we need to pray for our, our, our government. Like, that's the summary of this message that I'm, I'm sharing with you. Like a charge. We need to stand for government and authorities because principalities, speaking of rulers, look at the term, principalities, delegated authority, author, rulers of the darkness of the... These are people who are, have the intention of ruling spaces. They rule domains. So it's a a government structure. So these are entities that are interested in anything that has to do with government. But some way, somehow, the church for a long time has lost its desire and interest in anything. It's like some people even think that when it comes to politics and those things there, count me out. But when you look at the Old Testament, there were prophets that were assigned for kings. You see, look at David's life. He had uh, uh, Nathan. Bible calls them seers. That means they are there and they are seeing. <laughs> seers, we all have eyes we see. So if they call somebody seers, it's not the one we all have. <laughs> seers. That means they see into the spirit. The Bible says that God has graced the body one of such gifts, which is the discernment of spirits. And that is what Paul is kind of giving us and access into so that in case you have it, you don't have to try to see it before you know that what Paul is saying is true. The word of God in itself is light so that you know what we are dealing with. So he says principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. So the devil is very interested in authorities, in governments. We've seen it too many times in scripture. He will position somebody close to the seat of government at any given time. That means we too, we have to be positioned. We too, we have to be very strategic. Even if you are not directly related or close to any of such, you have a role to play. Let's look at First Timothy chapter 1. Um, I think let's look at verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Okay, before that, let's read the next verse. I just want you to see something. No, sorry, the previous verse, 17. 
First Timothy 1 7 says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So by the time you are moving to the charge, this is what is the, the latest update on your mind. Unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible. This is the immediate update on your mind before you deal with the charge. So then, then let's go to the charge. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. So he's telling him that some things have been spoken before his coming. Some things have been spoken concerning his life and he's giving him a charge that he should war with those prophecies that have gone before him that with those prophecies he might as war a good war warfare now what i find intriguing is that i've always wondered you know in my curiosity in in the in the scriptures what this prophecy is because I, when you read this epistle, you see it popping up a number of times. Even in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says that stir up the gift of God that is in you, isn't it? Huh. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. We'll come back to this. He says, neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. So uh, I like that. He says, which was given thee by prophecy. That means when God wants to give you something, he gives it to you by prophecy. In God's mind, when a prophetic word comes to you, he has given you something. So he says the gift. In, in, in the second epistle, he says tear it up. That means it's there. By his dormant. That means so far as the prophecy went forth, the gift has been, it's in your custody. So every prophetic word is in our custody. <laughs> it's in our custody. God has given it to us. So we need to live. Sometimes when God gives us the prophecy, we'll just pack it somewhere and go and continue our daily activities and forget about it. Ah. But he says, neglect not the gift. That is in, what, what is this gift? When you read in, I think, the two verses before this, and even two verses after, or the previous verse after, you would realize that Paul was trying to emphasize the need for teaching and doctrine. As Timothy, as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he was emphasizing teaching doctrine, you know, preaching the word. So time will not allow us, but you would see that that is what, he talks about a lot. And when you read in Romans chapter 12, one of the, the, the gifts that is given that they call a motivational gift is the gift of teaching. So I, am, I believe very strongly that the gift that he was talking about has to do with is specifically teaching, but maybe generally you can put it in preaching and teaching because he, he, he made massive emphasis on that for him in this letter that he wrote to him. In other words, God had given him a certain ability and grace to accomplish his assignment, his calling on the earth. And he wants to draw his attention to it so that he fulfills that ministry. 
Are you following it? Uh-huh. So this gift has been given to him. And the gift came to him by prophecy. So now when we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, and he tells him that he should war with the prophecy that has come forth. That means that even though God had given him an ability to fulfill a certain assignment and task, there, was, there were going to be contentions. It was not going to be smooth. There are things that were going to stand up, stand against that grace and ability that God had given him. Can we have that previous verse? The, the 1 Timothy 1.18. He says, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. He was dealing with, a lot, at this time that the, the letter had been given to, there was so much heresy in the church. So much lies. In fact, when you continue to read, he name drops a couple of people, Hemenos, and he said that these people are saying that the resurrection, which is our hope, has already occurred. So he had an assignment to combat all the things that he was dealing with. And then he was encouraging him that, look, a prophecy has gone forth about the grace and ability you have. But this prophecy, take it and use it to war a good warfare. That means it's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be easy. So God has given us abilities. God has given us graces. And in warring with those, you know, those gifts, those abilities and the prophecies that God, we have to know that there is going to be strong contention. That calls for a fight. That calls for wrestling. That doesn't call for lying down. That doesn't call for, you know, being at ease. That thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Next verse. Then he says, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. So there was a con- massive contention against the faith, for which reason he was saying that all these other things, I want you to war with the prophecy that had come to you. The prophecy that speaks of your ability and your grace to disseminate what God has given to you for a certain people in a particular place. And he says he should do this holding faith and a good conscience. When you read, okay, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, so that we understand this verse very well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, by the word of truth, and Paul was listing the credentials of their ministry. And he says, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So he's saying that as ministers, they were warring with a certain armor. And he calls it an armor of righteousness on the right hand and then on the left. So you see Paul as a, as a minister, but he's saying we are holding something on our right hand and we are holding something on our left. I get in the picture. He's holding something on his right hand and something on his hand. He calls it the armor of righteousness. That means this is what we have been clad with to ensure that righteousness and justice prevails where we are. And it's something that we are holding as ministers, as people that have been called to serve what God has given us in a particular place. And it's an armor. That means we can't do that work when we ditch that armor. And in technical, please follow, follow, go with me. Yes, the previous verse, verse, no, um, 2 Timothy 1.18. One, sorry, 1 Timothy 1.18, 19, please. So in 19, he says, holding faith and a good conscience. 
Holding faith is one of the armors of righteousness that as a minister, as one who has been called or assigned for it, you need to hold to execute that righteousness and just, justice. And he calls it holding faith and a good conscience because a good conscience is fed by faith. A good conscience, sorry, faith gives a good conscience in the sense that you, by your faith, you make the right judgment. You are able to make the right discernment between what is right and what is wrong based on your faith. So actually this armor of righteousness is faith and a good conscience on one arm, which is your left arm. Faith and a good conscience. And it says, which some having put away, that means they trust it. It was delivered to them, it was gifted to them, but they threw it away. That means they are defenseless and their outcome was that they made shipwreck. In other words, they were set on a certain journey, but they won't make it. They have been made shipwreck. And then the other armor on the right hand, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. And the armor on the right hand is what he mentions in verse 18, which is warring with prophecy. So prophecy, you have faith and a good conscience on the left arm, and then prophecy on the right arm. In Ephesians chapter 6, when you read, he says that take the shield of faith. That is faith and conscience, which he talks about here on the left hand. And the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God, the saying of God, the declaration of God, which is equivalent to prophecy. So when he says, wage a good warfare with prophecy, holding faith and good conscience, you you are fully clad with an armor of righteousness. One for defense, one for attack. One on your left, one on your right. So you use one to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and you use one as an attack. But if you ditch it and you throw it away, the Bible says you make shipwreck. That means you can't fulfill destiny without these things. So he's telling that this young man of God that hold it, hold faith, and a good. There are, there are examples of people who let it go, and we have seen their destiny. But if you want to learn from that, please take your own. Funny book or like that and just hold it. Then, so that those other people don't waste our time, let's just move over to chapter 2, verse 1. Because... He says, I exhort therefore, I exhort therefore. Therefore means he is connecting this statement with something he said before. So this is therefore something that he has already said. When you read in between verse 20, 21, for the sake of time, but I know that we are studious people, so we will look it up. For the sake of time, he now talks about the people that made shipwreck. But really, the thought that he had in mind was the fact that some prophecies had gone forth that he was supposed to war with. Holding faith and a good conscience. On the back of the faith and the good conscience and the prophecy that you have, I'm encouraging you that first of all, that means I have many things to tell you in this letter, but the most important of all is this one. The most important of all, first of all, is what? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is the most important for the fulfillment of the prophecy. And just like 
You know, Paul is the same person writing this letter. That means it's the same thought he's passing across. And when you read in Ephesians chapter 6, I believe verse 18, he says that praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And the, the best rendition there is the Young's literal translation, which says through praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. What does that mean? When you read the previous verse, he says take the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, through prayer and supplication. Through praying always with all prayer. In other words, the way you take those ammunition is in prayer. So how you take faith, you maintain that the faith and a good conscience is in prayer. How you hold on with the prophecy and you fight with it is in prayer. That's how you take it. You say you take it through praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That means once you are praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, these are the ammunitions, the, armors of, the armor of righteousness that he clads you with for the journey ahead. And now he's telling Timothy that on account of the prophecy that has gone forth, concerning your calling, concerning your assignment, these are things that God will judge us on. Concerning, Paul had to write to uh, Seram, Take heed to the ministry which you have received. <laughs> Archippus. Siram's name is Archippus. That's why. Take heed to the ministry that you have received, that you fulfill it. So the thing has to be done. And he's saying that we need to pick these weapons. And he says, I exhort, therefore, on account of faith, maintaining faith and a good conscience, and then warring with the prophecy that you have received concerning your calling and your assignments, I want you to first of all supplicate, pray, intercede, and give thanks for all men. That means the fulfillment of your calling is connected to all men, others. That means instead of praying for yourself that I have to fulfill my calling, I have to fulfill, if there are no men, who are you called to? So he says that first of all, pray for all men. All men. Because you have something. Oh, Paul said something in, uh, I think, Romans 15 that really blesses me. He says, strive with me, strive together with me in your prayers that they might receive, the church in Jerusalem might receive the ministry that I have for it towards them. That means there are things that you have, they are legit, they are good, but they will never receive it. For the people that you are even called to. He says, for, that, for them to collect it, pray for us. And they were taking aid, though. They have collected. You remember, God is able to make all grace. First Corinthians 9, First Corinthians 8. They are collecting aid from Corinthian church and Philadelphia, uh, Philippi church and all these people. And we are sending to them by, he says, even for them to receive that aid, pray that they will receive my ministry. That means there are certain things that we have legit, correct, but they will not receive it. Why? Why can't they receive it? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Bible talks about the prince of the power of the air. That now worketh in the children of disobedience. The word disobedience means unpersuadable. That means they cannot be convinced. They cannot be persuaded. No matter where you pass it, left, right, center, they can't be persuaded. Meanwhile, you have something that will be beneficial to them. So he says, pray for all men. For the fulfillment, for this battle, for this fight, pray for men. 
Because what the contention, it has, men are, are under siege. Men are bound. Men are tied. You have something for them. There are people that are supposed to be liberated and be made free, but they are under a certain hold. She says, pray for all men. For your ministry to be fulfilled. Next verse says, and for kings and those that are in authority. Because if one day one king just wakes up and is annoyed and passes a certain law, that is the end, the business that is a ministry <laughs> for Ghana, that is the end of it. If somebody just gets angry and says that, look, Charlie, enough is enough, let's do some coup. That going and coming, that master's degree or PhD, you will sit in your house. You will do it in your house. Why? Because kings are involved. For kings and those that are in authority. That means we are hampered in our assignments, our duties, if all these people are not touched by the mercy and the grace of God. And the reason why he's employing prayer is that God in his goodness and his mercy would want to do something about it, but he can't. If God wanted to have his way, there's no need to preach the gospel. There's no need to evangelize. He will just blow his air. Everybody will become born again because that is his desire. In fact, he's, he's delaying because he's not willing that anybody will perish. So if it could be done that way, but as we know it, he gave the earth to the children of men, the sons of men. So unless there is a man that will stand in the gap, these are people that will just stand to oppose something that is good and legit purely from God. Like Jesus was word of God made flesh, but he had to deal with Roman authorities. He had to deal with Jewish authorities. And Paul himself, you know, Paul, Paul himself, he had to be arrested by his own people. You see, amazing ministry. The Bible says he himself said he went all the way to Spain. One man started from uh, Jerusalem, you know, went to different places, went all the way to Europe, Spain. But kings and those that are in authority brought him to Rome and locked him up. And locked him up. Before you, 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 you think they've passed a certain law, in your mind it's general, but you may never know it's because of your business. If God is opening a certain continent to you. That's why they've passed that law. Just because of your business, not the other ones, just because you are a believer. Because the other ones, they, they are already under his, you know, his ropes. So the devil is not bothered. You are the dangerous one. You are the emissary. So if just he has to, just because of you, ruin thousands, then he will, he will do that. It says, for kings and those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. In all godliness. That means to be godly and to be uh, decorous. You know, and, and to be well behaved, in, even in, is determined by the kind of environment that you are in. Because then the progress of it will be, you know, stalled, will be disrupted. So you are working for an organization, number one on your list, board members, CEOs, they are part of your prayer list. They are part of, they will make a decision that will cause, because if they make a certain decision, Kingdom finances will suffer. <laughs> you see? And the devil knows for a fact that when we have money, we will shake the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's one of the ways that we will shake the world. So, he will try everything he can. You see? So, as, as priority, 
You know, they say in Akan, I think there's an adage that when you see fire on somebody's beard, fetch water and put it by your side. But I, I feel like that is too selfish because <laughs> if you have water, why don't you quench your, your brother? Your brother is burning. <laughs> why don't you go and quench it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> because one thing I realized about selfishness is that it will come back to bite you. Like only you, you want to do well, you forget everybody, it will come back to bite you. So for, for you to do well, you have to make sure that other people are doing well around you. If everybody always, you, you die of stress. Everybody is worrying you. You see, aha. Uh-huh. But if everybody is well set up and empowered, you know that, Charlie, we are all moving together. One day when you are stuck, you have soldiers who will come and rescue you. Can you imagine? Like David. He was thirsty one time. He didn't, he just made the request before he realized his soldiers had just entered the garrison of the Philistines and they have brought him water. Because people that were in debt, people that were in distress, they all came to him. But they didn't leave the same. You see, so if you look at the prayer that he's telling him to pray, supplication prayers that we may, you are praying for them that what? We may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That means if you don't pray for them, your quiet and peaceable life might be at stake. It might be at stake. And so I believe that God, that the same charge that Paul gave Timothy, he says, this charge I commit to you, God is giving us that same charge for us to stand up and take our armors of righteousness, take up our shields, stand up and contend for authorities, for kings, and all men. That all men means those you like and those you don't like. They are all part of all men. Part of all men. And God wants us to stand. We are the people that he has. And he, he prescribed prayers. Can, you, can we look at um, Daniel chapter 9? Because Daniel plays this thing out so beautifully. When in Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says in the first year, of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he should accomplish 70 years in desolation. This is purely a word of prophecy. Purely a word of And he says he understood by the books. And look at what he did in verse 3. He says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This man was a high-ranked politician. Very smart, intellectual. You know, sometimes that's the challenge. It's like when you are smart, smart and intellectual, it's like spiritual things, dear. Oh, it's not true. It can't happen. You know, so it's like you are very smart, very but on that side there. That's, that's how when you are supposed to make a big break for your family, then stroke, pam, and you are just lying there. And you think <laughs> we rest face to face with principalities and powers. They want to rule families. They want to rule territories, towns, cities, nations. He said, I set my face on the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. These are the kind of leaders we need in our nation, the kind of politicians we need who can make fasting and supplication part of their their lifestyle. 
And I believe God is raising people like that for our government. I believe strongly. I believe strongly. Because the sad thing is, there are a lot of our politicians, when you speak with them, they will tell you they are Christians. They will tell you that they are Christian. But what kind of Christian? It was one of the things I think we were talking about on Thursday. You know, is, is it a, a nominal Christian or a disciple? You see, Bible says he set his face with fasting and prayer, with sackcloth and ashes. When you read, can you give us uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 7? Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, and look at it. It says, and seek the peace. Okay, let's read from verse 5. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Now, these people had been taken into captivity. They were under uh, siege. They were not liberated. They were not independent. And yet God had told them that when they go there, they should eat, plant, take wives, beget sons, daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may be increased there and not diminished. He he wanted, God wanted his people to be increased in a foreign land. Do you know that here is a foreign land for us? Because we are from Zion. Here is a foreign land. But God has stationed us here for a purpose, and he wants us to be increased. And cover every place. And then the next verse says that, and seek the peace of the city. This is not your country. It says, seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away as captives. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. He says, pray. this is not your own country, but pray for it constantly for peace. Ideally, you should hate the rulers. You should hate these people that are, you know, have captured us. But he says, no, the wisdom of God says, no, pray for them. If you want peace, pray for their peace. Pray for their peace. And next verse, please. It says, for thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which you caused to be dreamed. Next. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. Next verse. It says, for thus said the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. This is what Daniel read in Daniel chapter 9. And he said that, no, what must cause this to happen is supplications with fastings must cause this word to happen. Because the time has come, but we are not seeing any change. Therefore, I must contend in prayer. That first of all, supplication, prayers, and intercession. That means the first section which we read, Daniel prayed that for Babylon. And that was one of the reasons why he prospered there. He prayed that for, so that any king that came into that, any regime that came, he was prominent there because of his prayers. And then he, 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 he praised this, you know, for his own nation. for the liber- And you know what happened? When, when Daniel prayed, when you read Daniel chapter 9 from verse 20 onwards, you would notice that all of a sudden the Bible says there appeared a man called Gabriel. He said, I have come to give you skill and understanding. The word skill actually is wisdom. I have come to give you wisdom and understanding. That means he was praying. Oh, you see, Daniel, I believe, was a very 
Adwar student of the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He was praying for the liberty of his nation, but then an angel appeared to him and then he began to tell him things about regimes that were coming ahead of him many, many centuries ahead. He said, I've come to give you wisdom and understanding. He, and this guy is wise, a massive political figure. He says, I have come to give you something you don't have. There is more. I've come to give you wisdom and understanding. And he got that through prayer. When you continue to read, you realize that he was praying because according to this prophecy, 70 years were supposed to be accomplished. But when the Gabriel came, the message he gave him was for 70 weeks. Not, not 70 weeks as in weeks of years in prophetic language. That means 70 times 7 is what? 490. That means that he was praying for a span of 70 years, something that should happen within 70 years. When the angel came, he gave him insights to 490 years. And when you continue to read everything about Jesus' life, the angel told him. He told him about when Jesus was going to be born. He told him about when Jerusalem was going to be built again. Exact years, 49 years. After that, the time Jesus Christ will be born, the time Jesus Christ will die, the time the Romans will come and destroy the temple, he gave him all that insight. So the kind of politicians we have to raise must be politicians that are like they seen into 40 years ahead, 30 years ahead, 80 years ahead. That's insight. He said, I've come to give you wisdom and understanding. So we are all going and coming, but what Daniel is seeing surpasses the average Jew. Surpasses that. And I believe that God is calling us into, into that. So that we call on him and he will show us great and mighty things that we don't know for our nation, for our organizations, for the places that we work, for the areas in which we live, places where we do CIC. We have to pray because we are dealing with principality, unseen forces. And that is what Jesus said. He will build his church and the gates of the unseen world will not prevail against it. And that is what we are all arrayed against. And we need to just stand up. Says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. We need to be standing. We need to be cladded. We need to take our shield of faith, our sword of the spirit, through praying always with all prayer and supplication. He was a smart man. I'm sure if there was another alternative other than prayer and supplication, he would have opted for that. But he saw that no, this one is prayer and supplication. It's not my my degrees that will cause uh, the plans and purpose of God to come to pass. So God has an assignment for us. God has a task for us. And if it has to come to pass, there's authorities, the people, even for pastors. You know, sometimes you think that pastors are always praying, so they don't need prayers. Paul said, contend with me. That means struggle with me in, my, in your prayers for me. That means prayer is not always, you know, smooth sailing. It's a struggle. It's a fight. There are prayers that you are praying, you are sweating blood. It's a fight. Because there is so much weight, something heavy. And sometimes we don't pray for our pastors. Meanwhile, when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. You know, James died as a martyr. But the question I have is that if he had remained, what use or benefit would he have been to the church? He wasn't the one who lost by going. It was the church that lost. Because obviously James had something for us, but he never came to us. We are left with Peter, John, and thank God they are sufficient. But perhaps there was something that he had to deliver. As long, when, once they realized they didn't pray, 
and then he was taken. They realized that the only difference between them that the church prayer was made of the church without season for Peter. That was the difference between James and Peter in that scenario. Prayer was made without season. Else Peter too would have gone. Perhaps we would have not gotten first Peter, second Peter. But we read those things and we are blessed. So sometimes praying for these people, like he says, like you are doing it for another person, but it is for your own benefit. For all men, for kings and those, you know, that we may lead a quiet. So I want peace and quiet, but to achieve that, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And we need to do that. We have to pray for Pastor Bexen. Preaching is not a joke. Maybe I have to sit down and then give the mic for you to do 20 minutes. (laughs) It's not, a, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not a joke. It's, it's, there's a weight that comes with the calling. Sometimes, you, if, if you are not in it, you never know how it feels like. There's a weight that comes with it. And, and if Paul, like, sometimes I just wonder, if Paul, a prayerful, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you are. I'm praying always, but still, he's saying that pray for me, <laughs> that I'll be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. Hey, then if you, you are there, you are not praying there, Charlie. <laughs> the one who is praying always knows he's requesting for more prayer. Hey, you are there, not praying. <laughs> hey, you are just bumping into principalities and powers. <laughs> and they are using you to play ping pong, table tennis. <laughs> one will just hit you, and then another, just like that. No, we are dealing with unseen entities. And God wants us to exert the authority of Jesus over that. Nullify their activities. When we are there, the activities are suspended. When I'm here, it is a no-fly zone for witches and devils. No. So you stand there, you are praying, man, doko, bradaba, in the name of Jesus. And you are speaking over, over the city. You are speaking over the nation. You are speaking over your company. In the name of Jesus, as I'm working here, there is abundance. Money is coming in. In the name of Jesus, we are doing well. In the name, you are doing that. And it's a warfare. It's a fight. Waging a war because your ministry there has to prosper. And what you have them must be received. And we need to just stand on our ground and lift up prayer. These are things physically you can't do. You see, like physically to accomplish it, you are limited. There are a lot of things you don't know. Certain buttons that need to be pressed, you, are, you have no clue of. But when we supplicate, when we pray in the spirit, when we groan in the spirit, the Holy Ghost knows the buttons to press. Where this one is going, where this one is, where, which one has to add which one. And then he will organize all of that. And you just know that your calling in every place that God has positioned you is destined to prosper. It's destined to do well. Because God has a man in a place. God has a man in a place. We have to pray for our nation. Pray for A lot of times we wait till election time. Then we start praying because the way things are going, it's like we don't, hmm, Charlie, the way that thing, we don't want any war, we don't want any fight. But it goes beyond that. The prosperity of the nation. He says pray for the prosperity of the nation. There are certain things when we complain about, Charlie, we've done it and we don't see anything. Let's just convert it into prayers. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's prayer that works is consistent prayer. So it's something you are consistent. We are praying it, but we know that changes are happening. You know, one here, one here, one here, two, three years time, five years time, before we realize something significant has happened in our land. As a church, we need to stand up and pray that, Lord, if this person will not fulfill your will, he, he should not be in office. And we are standing and we are determining it. Because the Bible says that he has set us above all in Ephesians 1, uh, 19. When you read in the message, if you can give us the message, he says he has set us above all governments. 
all gov- that means the church of Jesus Christ is superior to every government on the earth. And we need to take our stance. We need to find our voice again. We need to intercede. We need to stand in the gap. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. Next verse. All this energy issued from Christ. God raised him from the death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running universe, running the universe. And we are running the universe with him. Everything from galaxies to governments. We are supposed to run galaxies and governments. Because he says we are seated together with him. He's telling us this because it's not Jesus alone who is doing it, because we are part of it. So he says, running galaxies, governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. So, so far as you have a name, so far as you have authority, you are not exempt from the rule of Jesus. And we have a vital role to play in your life. You might not know it, but we are the salt of the earth. When you sprinkle salt in something, you don't see it, but it is effective. Very, very effective. Stopping corruption and decay wherever God is placing us. So I want us to just, in a minute, just pray that, Lord, we receive grace, grace to stand, stand, stand and fulfill our assignment and our calling, Lord, for the places that you have destined for us to be. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we take strength, Lord, because we need to wear this armor of righteousness to stand, to stand for all men, all men, people in our families, to stand for people in authority, to stand for people in offices, any authority of our lives, Lord. We don't leave it to chance. We don't leave it to the rule and reign of the devil, of principalities, of powers. No, we take our rightful place and we determine the affairs in that landscape in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, every sector, the leadership, everywhere we are positioned, we will not be selfish. We will not think of ourselves, but we will think about the greater good, the reign and rule of God, the authority of Jesus superimposed in that place in the name of the Lord Jesus. For you are the king eternal. You are the king eternal. You are the invisible one. You are the only wise God. And you have given us this charge. You have committed a charge to wage a good warfare with the prophecies, with the word that we have received, with your plans and your purpose for governments, for authorities in the earth. And we take delivery of it like we see in the example of Daniel and we effect a change. If Daniel as a single man was able to do it, we can do it individually we can do it corporate corporately and we know that we will be effective in ensuring that the earth is dominated by the will of god it's dominated by the will of god father in jesus name this morning we receive strength we receive vigor in the name of jesus your word says that we should see the exceeding greatness of your power that you wrought in Christ Jesus, that raised him from the dead and set him above. All kidness will not prosper there. We will be the reason why poverty will not be found there. We will be the reason why corruption and decay will not be there in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, until him that lets is, is taken away, then the Antichrist will come. But as long as we are there, in the name of Jesus, the will of God prospers. The will of God prospers. The will of God prospers. We receive insight. We receive wisdom. We receive understanding. We receive skill, Lord, 
to navigate the responsibilities, the calling, the assignment that you have handed unto us. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We believe you've been blessed. For further inquiries, contact Kingdom Expression Ministries worldwide on 0201-300-400 or visit our website, www.kingdomexpression.org. Follow us on social media at Kingdom Expression. You can locate us at South Oyarifa, 300 meters from the Ankunam Junction.